This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Today on the show, we sit back, have a few drinks, and talk about the world. Welcome to Lore Party, the podcast that explores the stories, characters, and universes of our favorite video games. I'm Caleb. And I'm Lawrence. And I am Steven. So, Steven, you are a new, uh, you're a new face, a voice on the show. Um, you want to tell us a little bit more about where you're from? Hi, how's it going, everybody? Um, I, this is indeed my voice. It's new. It's different. It's fresh. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm from Geek Elite Media, a podcast group that is, I believe, really good friends with everyone over here, right? We're not enemies. <laughs> yet. We aren't enemies yet. We're <laughs> we're we're on the firm handshakes and <laughs> single eye stare downs. Good, good. I'm glad. <laughs> um, and so as you well know by this point, like we're working on our Cyberpunk Week for the Lore Party Podcast Network. Uh, so Stephen's actually joining us as a part of uh, this kind of bigger initiative to explore the cyberpunk uh, genre as a whole and to, in part, celebrate the release of Cyberpunk 2077. I appreciate you guys having me over here. Cyberpunk's been a thing that I've loved for as long as I can remember. Pretty much anything that you can add mechanical things to, if you do it, it makes it better. And so like, as soon as this opportunity popped up, I had to join you guys for this one. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's definitely a lot of fun. And with that, we're going to be talking about what is, I think, one of definitely my but i but i would imagine all of our uh, favorite cyberpunk stories which is the spectacular um bartendum up valhalla yes and i will say before we get started that uh this game i definitely played this game because of caleb i think you have been talking about this game since lore party started oh yeah i've been i've been wanting to do episodes on this game for literally about two years now and I finally caved and bought it on the Switch because I was looking <laughs> for a game, and I was like, "This is amazing!" And then I've like played it three times so far. Oh yeah, Damn. it's so worth it. You're a better person than me for this one. I honestly played this one because of how much I love 2064 Read Only Memories, uh, and I've I've played it just the once. Um, it's not that it's bad writing or anything. Obviously, it's fantastic writing, or we wouldn't all be here together for this. But it's just. I guess I had read enough at this point. I knew what I loved. I liked my curry ending, and I was happy. Yeah, it's such an utterly unique game that, depend depending on the personality, is either like the easiest sell in the world or the hardest sell in the world, mm-hmm. depending on your tastes. So I don't know about you guys, but for this one, I don't actually drink. I've never taken a sip of alcohol in my life. So for this one, whenever every time I was making a drink for somebody, I was always like, hey, maybe this person is of my ilk and I don't have to give them any alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> I was always like max out the alcohol. If I was optional, <laughs> I maxed it out for the most part, except for that time where somebody came into the bar that wasn't old enough. Then I was like, OK, you're getting no alcohol at all. 
I really thought you were going to say like, okay, you just get one. <laughs> oh no, I I was I was fully convinced that the plot twist there was going to be that she was actually old enough because like that felt like the type of thing this game would do. So I actually did give her alcohol. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so on that worrying note, um, <laughs> the, the premise of this game is that you're a bartender and the stories and choices that you make throughout this game aren't around dialogue options or moral choices, but around what drinks you offer to the patrons. So as a result, the plot's going to change if you decide to give different patrons more or less alcohol than they ask for. Or if some patrons are intentionally vague about their orders, um, uh, being able to decipher from the context what they might or might not want. It makes the game really interesting and a lot of fun, but it also sets the story up in really, really unique and interesting ways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I think, like, Caleb, both you and I have at one point uh, worked at a Starbucks, at least. So, you know, not an actual bar, mm -hmm. but... Um, you know, how you craft these drinks, I guess it, it allows you to break down those barriers, essentially, and, and uh, build a relationship with customers, or at least get them to a point where they're comfortable enough to say how they're really mm -hmm. feeling about a certain topic or story. And I think that's what kind of builds the world a little bit. I think that's part of the reason why I think this game resonates with you and me so much is because, like, this is actually a significant amount of how you and I have both experienced other people's lives. Yeah. You make people a good drink, and uh, then they don't stop talking about their thoughts and feelings. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> so the, the whole context of this game is that you are a bartender. You're either at home or at work. 99% of the game is spent at work, and you craft drinks for different patrons that come in, and that's how you start to learn about the world, uh, just you know, from these brief conversations that you have from people. So I think what sets this game apart from from uh the genre as a whole is is there's not this like specific i don't know you're just you're just really learning about the world and how it functions as opposed to doing anything to change how things work yeah i think one of the most interesting things about pretty much anything is how they choose to deliver the world to you so obviously i mean for plenty of video games they choose to do that through like audio diaries um other like text logs and things like that where this one the, the entire thing is basically t interactive text logs and diary things between you and someone else. And you're not, you're again, you're not influencing anything. You're not like by you giving someone more of one ingredient in a drink or like making a bad big gut punch, like you don't end up making any events change in any substantial way besides right. the, the endings that you get yourself. But even for the rest of the world, the things that happen to you are pretty inconsequential. And and not only that, you really don't seek any information from people at all. You're just doing your job. Mm -hmm. Jill's actually like honestly trying to like just live her life at certain times in the game. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. I mean, she is any uh, you know twenty something year old that's just trying to figure out figure out their life, and they're working this. And I mean, in her case, she finds her job cooler than most. But like most people would be like, oh, I mean, I'm 20 something year old. I'm trying to figure out uh, my life. This isn't the job I see myself in. It's just cool for right now. So, yeah, she's not like out here like I need to figure out what's going on or I need to even do anything that's going to affect the world overall. 
I do think you did also accurately uh, describe being a Starbucks employee. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> That's how it was. <laughs> she, she, does, she does start every day by repeating the mantra, time to mix drinks and change lives, but I'm pretty sure she's uh, saying that ironically. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is the another day, another dollar of cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> or at least of Valhalla. It is unique, though, because all of these people that we do see, I feel like any other game, like even even compared to the similar and also a game we're talking about this week, um, the Red Strings Club, um, Red Strings Club, almost every character, it's a lot of the same archetypes. But the difference is that these are people who have a massive influence on the world around them. These are, you know, so you also run into like an engineer hacker and he's the person who's invented AI, basically invented modern AI and robots. You talk to, like, the, uh, you know, engineers who are the heads of these massive corporations that the conversations you have are going to affect hundreds of thousands of people. Valhalla takes the same tools, the same setup, and the same people and is able to communicate and have you explore this world from a such different angle in the sense that you're talking to the people who don't matter. You're talking to the people who their decisions aren't influencing hundreds of thousands of people. They're influencing three people and maybe a cat. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and a corgi with sunglasses. And a corgi with sunglasses. <laughs> I mean, or, or an entire bar full of corgis. But that's, that's, that's a prologue that uh, <laughs> is best left to Jill's nightmares. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean... You know, and and throughout the game, like we said, like the 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 world itself is is delivered to us through the conversations that we have with customers. So, right off the bat, from some of our first few conversations uh, with patrons, we start to see some familiar uh, cyberpunk themes throughout the world, and um, so we want to kind of cover a few of the themes that we see in this episode. And um, one of the first, I think major themes that presents itself in the game is uh this thought of or this notion of like a military police force and civil unrest at least within the confines of glitch city where the game predominantly takes place and so like one of the and and our first kind of clue into that happening in the world is um you meet a bar patron is it it's say as a gary right not sigh yes i I always said say okay so say Asagiri, she is actually a part of a uh, group called the White Knights, and specifically she's within the Valkyrie Corps. Uh, so she's like a first responder, like a super-powered first responder. She does cool stuff from saving people from cars or on top of burning buildings or providing like first responder-style support for people. She really loves her job. So, like, that is how the White Knights are first presented to you as this group of people that that helps everyone. But later, you know, through conversations that we have, more conversations that we have with Say, conversations that we have with her best friend Stella, conversations that we have with other bar patrons, we start to see a different picture of the White Knights uh, be painted. Mm-hmm. Very quickly, there's a turn to the idea of this. I mean, there's there's... They deliver the story through this character who's pretty likable, you know, like this very likable person who's nice and caring and has altruistic reasons for wanting to be in this force. But that's not the majority of this police force. 
Yeah, and it's like, and it, what what a perfect character because you know, say is mostly just she's aloof and nice, and what you see on the surface is is everything. And I think the, you know the funny thing about it is is one of the first instances where we start to to realize that there may be some corruption is actually in the same story where we kind of get the beautiful picture of the white knights from her uh, because mm-hmm. you you have a conversation with her, you know, and Jill is like, so what made you decide to be a white knight? And she was like, I was um, actually as a kid, uh, Stella and I were attacked by a rogue white knight and then another white knight saved us. Yeah, it's, it's like ha- half half a dozen in one hand, like like six in the other. <laughs> right. like, it's really like, yeah, no, no, I love white knights because one tried to hurt me and then a white knight saved me. Like it's, yeah. it wouldn't inspire confidence in wanting to be in this kind of a kind of group to me personally. Unless I um, didn't pick up on it, the white knight that saved her isn't actually a white knight anymore. Because they low-key hint that the white knight that saved her was uh, that one asshole who's always giving you stupid cryptic drink orders. Virgilio? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no. No, Virgilio. Yeah, that's the, yeah. Text-based game. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, him him as a character, he 100% like in the ending, the ending that I got was the curry ending with him. Uh, and the way that he talks about it, um, like he says in particular, like what what was happening to those girls they didn't deserve. Um, and then things just kind of lined up. And then I got to do this because I smelled like curry and someone had money that I saved. And he he ends up opening up a curry shop that you eat at, at the end. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I mean, he saved them. Like, like one thing I like about this game is it doesn't give you the full scope up front. So say mm-hmm. telling you. You know, I was attacked as a kid, and then another person saved me. Isn't really full scope, and you, you know, you interact with say and Stella, and eventually you, you know, you get the full story from from talking with them, and and that rogue white knight actually hit say in the ribs, uh, damaged a lot of like broke a lot of her ribs, gave her some like internal damage, and then gouged out her friend Stella's eye as kids, which is like. You know, it takes a considerable amount of um, drink order, getting drink orders correct to actually get that information from them. But throughout the game, from conversations that you have with her friend Stella, anytime you offhandedly mention like I, even if you're not specifically talking about her I, she kind of freaks out. She's always like, I, I, what? And then like she'll kind of snap back to it. So like, you know, we're, we're like the the game doesn't necessarily like give you all that information up front. Some of it is left to to the the inference of the player. But I thought it was interesting that like in the same conversation that they present these the white knights as this like you know super for the people um, police force, they also show you that they're not what they seem, mm-hmm. and eventually that comes out to the public. So we start to you know game progresses uh there is an issue at the apollo national bank stuff goes haywire uh you get bits and pieces from the news and from conversations with some bar patrons um and basically everything goes to shit apparently a a hacker must have released information or evidence of corruption with that goes like deep into the organization and pretty much like Everything, all of the hatred and unrest or the citizens have towards these people pretty much just comes to a boil. And we see people start to, like, openly attack and kill white knights in the street. Mm-hmm. Which, to be fair, I mean, it just sounds like 
the tables being turned, considering what we heard about them when they were when two of our main characters were younger. Right. Because it's like, you know, if one person is, you know, willing to attack some kids, like, who knows how deep the corruption goes. It's it's interesting because I think the even just the one like micro example of the police in this greater world, it kind of speaks to the entirety of the genre. Like, I don't want to dive into a heady topic here, like right at the front, but like everyone has a different perspective on something. Uh, and everyone can feel something entirely until something more comes to light. And I feel like that's cyberpunk as a whole. Like every, every individual character, as they go through something, um, the thing that we look at as being so cool and like all this cool tech and whatnot, like even just the eye of uh, one of our characters, there's a terrible story behind it. But we look at it and we're like, oh, it's a cool character design. Right. Exactly. Like <laughs> it's just, uh, you know. This is just this this world. This is the settings. And, like, you know, people have augments. Some people have augments because they need them. Some people did it because they wanted. And, I, you know, I think um, just, like, the, the whole topic of technology is is uh, a decent enough transition to the next uh, next theme that we see. <laughs> Segway. All right. Good old, good old segue. <laughs> and so, like, you know, the, the next big thing that we see in Valhalla um, is this this notion of robotic sentience. Not necessarily what it means. It's just more of robotic sentience. There, um, like we kind of explore that through one of the characters uh, that frequents the bar. Um, so in the world of uh, Valhalla, there are sentient machines that are known as Lilums. Um, they come from a... Uh, is it Lar- it's another AI named Lilith. Mm-hmm. And we we learn all of this pretty much through, um, I think, one of one of my favorite characters in the game. She is a uh, Lilum sex worker named Dorothy, who is probably the zaniest, free-spirited character that you run into in this game and just basically says whatever. <laughs> and she's awesome. I, I would agree. She's definitely one of the most outspoken characters uh, and indicative of what this world would be as a whole. I think, like, you're you're shaped by the world around you. And for her world, like, sex is just, it's it's a, like a fact of her existence. Uh, it's a thing that some people come to her to get when they need a good time. Uh, and she understands that this is a different thing for everyone individually and doesn't look down on anyone for being into some weird shit because they come to her for specifically weird shit. Exactly. Did you guys ever read? Did you guys ever read the uh, deve- some of the developers' blog posts on different characters and his kind of thought behind how he wrote certain characters? He did a blog post kind of about some of the thoughts on Dorothy and kind of like what he was trying to keep in mind with her, and it's almost exactly that. Where it's she was just a character that existed. She wasn't like. Um, oh, like overly pushed to be like one one end of the um character, and it was just making her very honest about who she was. And I think that's one of the more interesting elements of how that whole thing gets written. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it would have been really easy for that character to, if we're just talking about just this particular character for right now. Um, it would have been really easy for this character to kind of fall into that like ageless sex creature thing that happens so much in. Uh, in anime for like this weird like lolly stuff but for this one this character in particular in no way shape or form is there any part of it that's 
that comes off as weird mm-hmm. if you actually take it as presented, you know? Like, you have to bring your own stuff into this to put any other kind of tone to it. A, a decidedly sexual character who isn't fetishized is probably a good way to say it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, and just from conversations with her, uh, to some extent, you, you know, you really learn about some of the backgrounds of Lilum's, uh more particularly the newer models and how um, if their body is destroyed, uh, they can always, they'll just go back up into the uh, collective source, which is just like a cloud storage system for Lilums, and they'll be redeployed as with all of their memories intact. So they kind of slightly just touch on this, this whole um, notion of robotic sentience. Like, well, how does uh, mortality look to you guys since you're effectively immortal, but also you come to learn from conversations uh, with her that the the real fear of mortality for Lilums is that they won't be redeployed. It's similar, but a little bit different from like how we would view mortality where it's like, I don't want to be hit by a truck because then I'm going to be dead. And, you know, like I can't go on for them. It's, you know, I don't want to uh, risk continuous redeployment because what if there is an opera or what if there is a point where I can't be redeployed again? And there's that one character. I forget exactly how they come across them because it's been a hot second since I played this game. Um, There's the one story that we find out about, which is my eternal thought for any kind of like cyber brain or anything where there's um, a character who's an older version of it. Uh, and they can't yes. redeploy. They can't basically resync with the cloud for this one. Uh, and I think that's one of the most intriguing ideas of any kind of cyber future where consciousness is made into some digital artifact, you know? Uh, and I, they approach it well. <laughs> yeah, and that, that character specifically, like, um, it was an older model, uh, Lilum, and they couldn't uh, afford repairs any longer. So I think it was like once their current uh, power source ran out, they were going to die. Mm -hmm. And like I said, to kind of reiterate and circle all of this back, keep in mind that, like, we're talking to people who experience this as their everyday reality. We're not talking about people who are trying to fight this system. We're not talking about the people who invented this system. Like, they're incredibly unique ideas to us. But what's really interesting about the way that Valhalla explores these themes is the way that um, they aren't unique in the world. It's just a fact of life. Yeah, I mean, because Dorothy is no different than any other little sex worker at all. Like, she even, from conversations uh, that you have from with her, she even tells you, like, how she stays competitive in that market. Like, she didn't upgrade yeah. her appearance, so she still appears younger. And, like, she she almost has a meltdown when someone calls her out on the fact that um, her hands aren't uh, custom, if I remember right. Yeah, they were, uh, yeah, it was a uh, say, actually. She was like, the, your hands, they've been modded, and I could tell because the fingertips are longer, so you need to, she was like, I'm off work, so I'm not going to say anything, but she was like, my advice is just use disposable fingertips. But, like, she was so afraid that they were going to push her back up into the collective source and not let her redeploy for a few years. So very weird, you know, like you have these robots, they look like us, they act like us, but, you know, we have these two fundamentally different experiences. Yeah, no, I, that I think at its core, like almost the entirety besides the cool part with like the neon and the LEDs and stuff and whatnot, 
um, is always the idea of what is consciousness and what is like sentience. Like one, ones and zeros aren't so different from just like electrical electrical impulses and memories. Uh, and this 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 game and all cyberpunk as a whole goes into it deeply. I mean, in here we see we have the things that are actually um, like other like genetically modified things, as well as these other life forms that are entirely like robotic. Okay, so we're going to take a quick break here, but stick around. We'll be right back. Hello, everyone. This is Michael from the Lore Party Podcast Network. I'm the producer and host of Minigame, a podcast that takes a deeper look at the stories of our favorite video games. Every episode is only about five to ten minutes long, and I analyze the themes, characters, and stories in the games we love and highlight games you may never heard of before. Subscribe to Minigame and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, and anywhere else you find podcasts. And then one another piece um, when it comes to augmentation that pops up a lot in this game that isn't necessarily explicitly stated why they do this is just like the, this concept of like nano machines. Nano machines have like a lot of applications in this world, but there's never a clear cut conversation with anybody that really goes super deep into it. Most of the time when we talk about nano machines, it's normally the negative effects. But, like, everybody apparently in Glitch City or possibly within the the entire world is um, somewhat infested with nanomachines. And these nanomachines serve various purposes. From everything from just tracking people uh, and keeping an eye on them to, um, like, in Say's case, being in the White Knights, uh, they actually use a nanomachine therapy to uh, suppress the effects of PTSD. I, I did think they were going to come to be more, honestly. I, I thought they would be a larger portion of the narrative. And I don't know if that's something that'll be explored more. Uh, I forget, The name of the sequel, do you, do you all remember? Nirvana? Um, I, I expect that to be tracked down a little bit more. Because that it, it can do so much if everyone has these in them. And they're still being used in such a wide way, despite some of the characters that we see um, that have had very clear negative effects of those. Jill's ex being one of them. Yeah, exactly. Like we we start to uh, learn throughout the game that there is a a condition. It's like a localized nano machine rejection that is oftentimes fatal. Um, it's got like a very very low uh, a very low survival rate, and we've seen like there are apparently like there's a low number of people that experience this, but there's still a, a good uh, still a deal of people that have to deal with this, like. Like you mentioned, Jill's ex, uh, Lenore, she died from this. And even, I believe, Stella had localized nano or was uh, susceptible to localized nanomachine rejection. And then we also learn that it is possible to remove your nanomachines, too. Mm-hmm. So we learn that Jamie uh, had his uh, nanomachines removed, but he also said it was a super painful process and it affected his memory severely. Or he can't remember most of his past. He could remember like bits and pieces, but it's blurry. It seems like it's such an odd thing to still use to such a great degree with the downsides. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> 100%. <laughs> like, like in the... um. We we come to come to find that a result of um, this nano machine rejection, like I think it it brings up other forms of treatment for it, and one of those one of those treatments 
actually has a resulting effect that creates these people that are later known as cat boomers. And I think when we're talking about human augmentation, one of the uh, one of the the focuses is also human augmentation. That's the result of medical um, necessity. So you have treatment for nanomachine rejection in this world that creates these um, people that are referred to as cat boomers. And then you have uh, treatment for terminal illnesses using animal DNA, which creates people that are referred to by the public as hybrids. And hybrids, in the context of Valhalla, there's one conversation about hybrids. Um, it's really like the cross between 2064 and Cyberpunk. Uh, you actually have a character crossover once you make a certain drink, and they kind of explain the differences between the two to you. Which is a great moment. Yeah, it's it's an, it's an awesome moment because they mention Cat Boomers uh, with Stella, but they really don't go into what a Cat Boomer is. And if you played... 2064 you get a very good understanding of what a hybrid is and the things that they go through so it was good that they actually brought this to the the valhalla game Mm -hmm. which i is very much um i I don't know about the studio um for sukuban for them but i mean for 2064 in particular i mean that whole studio for mid boss was made to be representative of that kind of sorry that kind of thing um just in general to show like actual representation in the games, like whether that's metaphorical or otherwise. I think that's what's really interesting with it is you do get these like common topics with the cyberpunk skin, but I also like that we get the cyberpunk skin by wrapping something different. And I think that's where it um comes back down to and what makes the whole game as different as it is. And it, it's like I said a while ago, this isn't a world where any of these topics that we've just talked about are, you know, the the plot of the revolution or the the theme that the main character is trying to change. These aren't things that are being forced on you that are driving the plot forward. These are things that are being navigated around. That about wraps it up. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. If you did, please take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts because it really does help us grow the show. Be sure to connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at lore underscore party and check out our YouTube page for fun bonus videos and highlights. (laughs) Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. So yeah, thank you guys for having me on. Yeah, thanks for coming. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you want to give like kind of one more quick... uh, um, recap of kind of what Geek Elite Media does? Uh, I mean, Geek Elite Media, um, if you come over, uh, I would say, depending on the podcast you go listen to, there's different parts of it. Uh, I, I'm on there doing a book podcast that's also on YouTube called Love of Pages. But for the most part, I mean, it's it's the conversations that you would that you would have with your friends at 2 a.m. that's right there for you to queue up when you're not with your friends at 2 a.m., that you can just listen to us have talking about different TV shows each week and so on and so forth. So that's geeklymedia.com or Twitter, Instagram, all those things.